ever felt that way? Life, how can I be sure of God's direction? How can I forgive myself, my others? Does praying really do any good? What does God expect of me as a man? And then tonight, today, we want to talk about what does God expect of me as a woman? Now, it's going to be difficult for me to really talk about that other than from the Scripture because I'm not one. <laughs> so, I am married to one and have been around one. I had boys and not girls, so I've been blessed in some respects, but inadequate at others because it's difficult to talk from a woman's perspective if you don't have it. Amen? But we're going to do the best we can because I know that the master author, Jesus, and I know that he knows and he can help. I somewhat feel like Perry today. Uh, about 5.30 this morning, uh, I don't know who woke me up, Satan or God, but boy, I've been wrestling with Satan from that point on today. And so uh, would you pray with me just a minute before we go any further? Father, I thank you for this time this morning. And Father, the battle rages on. Uh, there's times when we get angry. There's times when we get very frustrated. But Father, more than anything, Satan is here and alive and he's well. And he wants to discourage everybody in this room. And Father, he especially wants to discourage me. Today, today I feel his attacks more than ever. Father, I just uh, ask you to forgive me today for my inadequacies. I ask you to forgive me for my, my lack of passion and desire at times. Father, I ask you to forgive me for the times that I've sinned this week that I'm so very aware of. And yet, Father, I also need a special touch because I know there's things that I've done and said perhaps this week that I didn't intend to hurt or inflict pain, but perhaps it did happen. So I ask you to please cover those as well. Father, this morning as we open your word, would you lift a burden from each of our shoulders, from each of our hearts, from each of our lives? Would you block the attacks of Satan so that we might uh, share together and learn some critical uh, principles this morning? Father, I thank you for the women in our church, how so very vital they are to our church. I thank you for the wives and the mothers in our church and how vital they are to the stability of the homes, to the stability of the lives of their husbands, their children. And Father, I thank you for them. I, I pray a special blessing and anointing upon them today. And Father, I pray that as we share this morning, we'll get a chance to laugh a little, but we'll also get a chance to cringe just a little as your word penetrates our hearts. Father, I pray that everyone today wants to deepen their heart and deepen their life and deepen their relationship with you. And there's only one way that that can happen, Lord, and that's, that's if we dig at it, if we make it happen. You always stand ready. It's we, on the other hand, that continue to hold you at arm's length. May today be that breakthrough day where you come very close to us. And Father, I thank you that you find us worthy to be picked on by Satan, that you allow him to come and get us and get at us. Because that means we're worth something to you. And that worth was the death of your son Jesus on the cross. And so, Father, as we fight the battle, may we be gallant. And may we never, ever forget that the victory has already been won. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. 
you have your Bibles, let's hold them up. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul, and lift us when Satan attacks. <laughs> so here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, speak to me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Give a high five, pound your neighbor next to you. As the video shows, expectations are all around us, both men and women, but women especially feel the burden of expectations, and they come from all angles, husbands or boyfriends, society, work, girlfriends, kids, and yes, even the church. Expectations come. And as our video shows in Perry's life, she, she felt that pressure. She wanted to be everything at church to everybody at church. And then there were times as tears were running down her face that she felt even God had been abandoning her. Boy, I felt that way, haven't you? I've talked to many of you, and you, I know you have because you've shared that with me. But what does God expect when you think about Perry and all that she was going through? What does God expect of women? What does he expect of you as a woman in this church and in this group this morning? And it's really a good question. Some people, in fact, have the idea that if Christians, particularly male Christians, had their way, all women would look like the women of the Taliban, draped in long robes, faces covered, walking ten paces behind their husbands, totally subservient to them, being seen but not heard. But nothing could be farther from the truth based on Scripture and based on Jesus and His time as He walked on the earth. And so today we're going to see that Jesus became one of the most revolutionary figures in history when it comes to women and how they were treated. He ignored, or maybe it's better said, that He shattered the stereotypes of what should and shouldn't be expected of women. Jesus' relationships with women was very remarkable especially considering the culture in which he lived. So I want to take you to some place that maybe you've never been before, and the challenge today is to be thoroughly biblical in dealing with God's expectations for women. I want to adapt uh, the biblical standard even over our tradition and even over our culture. Stereotypes, however, are funny, aren't they? Did you ever hear about the store that sells husbands? Where a woman may go to choose a husband from uh, among many men. Their store is comprised of six floors. And the men increase in positive attributes as the shopper ascends the floors. There is, however, a catch. As you open the door, the door to any floor, you can choose a man from that floor. But if you go up a floor, you cannot go back down except to exit the building. And with that understanding, a woman goes shopping, and on the first floor, the sign on the door reads, Floor 1, these men have jobs. The woman read the sign, and she said, well, that's better than my last boyfriend, but I wonder what's further up, so she goes on up. The second floor uh, sign reads, Floor 2, the, these men have jobs and love kids. And the woman remarks to herself, man, that's great, but I wonder what's further up. So the third floor sign reads, Floor 3, these men have jobs, love kids, and are extremely good looking. Mm, better, she says. 
But I wonder what's upstairs. And the fourth sign reads four, uh, floor four. These men have jobs, love kids, and are extremely good looking and help with the housework. Wow, she exclaims. Very tempting, but there must be more further up. And again, she heads up to another flight and on the fifth floor, the sign reads floor five. These men have jobs, love kids, are extremely good looking, help with the housework, and are very romantic. Oh, mercy me, she says. But just think, what must be awaiting me further on? And so she says, I'm going to go to the sixth floor. So to the sixth floor she goes, and the floor of that sign says floor six. You are visitor 3,456,789,012 to this floor. There are no men on this floor. This floor exists solely as proof that women are impossible to please. Thank you for shopping, husband Mart, and have a nice day. So, the stereotypes of our culture, it, it used to say a woman's place is in the home. The imagery was of a woman at home barefoot and pregnant and a single woman. They were old maids or spinsters and it seemed that they all ended up being librarians with their hair put up in a bun. A few years ago, our culture shifted with the advent of women's liberation and the battle of the sexes and it emerged and women and men fought over their distinctive roles in life. It was a culture where anything male was deemed hateful and hurtful where women were finally allowed to express their repressed resentment. Things are sort of in the middle now. But where are they supposed to be? How did Jesus treat women? Well, we've got to set the context with which to answer that because in the first century culture, women had no rights. Women were property. They could easily be divorced for something as minor as burning the toast or as simple as her husband finding someone more attractive. Men had all the power in the family, uh, 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 including a man who could even, he could even pimp out his wife and his children to gain money. Socially in the first century, there was a great joy at the birth of a son. Girls were often exposed and left to die in the city square on a hillside or in an alleyway. Some of these girls were picked up as uh, prostitutes and slaves. In Jesus' time, women were perceived by men to be responsible for most sin, especially sexual sin. By and large, women were considered inferior to men. Most men even thought them incapable of learning the Scriptures. Listen to these uh, statements. According to the rabbi Tosefta, a Jewish man, he prayed three times each day, including one in which he thanked God that he was not a woman. Sirach, a, a Pharisee of about 180 B.C., said that women were either good wives or a problem. Philo, a Jewish philosopher, argued that women ought to stay at home desiring a life of seclusion. Now that's the culture that Jesus walked this earth in. He was born and he was raised. And as a male, a single Jewish rabbi, there were, there were certain social customs that were not crossed by anyone until Jesus came along. And by looking at how Jesus treated women, we can discover what God expects of women and maybe better said what God would have women know. 
if Jesus really was God, and I believe He was, then His treatment of women should be very enlightening for us. So what does God want of women? Well, number one, He wants you to know that you're incredibly important to Him. Women, He wants you to know that you are very, very important to Him. Jesus saw and treated women as people of great worth and dignity. The Gospel of Luke is full of instances where Jesus affirmed women. First of all, Jesus spoke to women. One of the great examples of this is when he encountered uh, the woman at the well when, he, when she was gathering water. You're probably familiar with that story. They're in the region of Samaria. And you have to understand that Samaritans and Jews, they just didn't like each other, not at all. They had been feuding for hundreds of years. And Jesus was sitting at this well when this woman came to get some water in the middle of the day. And so Jesus then engaged her. In conversation, in John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You see, Jew Jewish men, especially rabbis, they just didn't talk to women in public for any reason. One Jewish scholar reports that the rule was one should not talk with a woman on the street, not even with his own wife, and certainly not with somebody else's wife because of the gossip of men. Now, men don't gossip, right, ladies? And, you know, if you share it, your information in the form of a prayer request, it can't be considered gossip because it's a spiritual entity, amen? So if you really want to gossip about somebody, just say, you know, we need to be praying for. Then go ahead, fill in the blank. And then the person is going to say, well, what should we be praying for them for? Well, I shouldn't say, but we're certainly praying for them, aren't we? And then off we go. You see how we can cloak that stuff? But men were not even to give a hello. It's forbidden to give a woman any greeting in that first century. But Jesus did it. And you want to know why? Because Jesus engaged her because he cared about her. He cared about her spiritual condition. And if you know the story and know the woman, her condition wasn't very good. She was in pretty bad shape spiritually. But they ended up talking about spiritual things, and Jesus made a profound statement in verse 10 of John 4. He said, he answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Now don't miss this. Jesus said that he, he could give her living water. But what did he mean by that? Well, the woman would have been found from that would have been from that area and she would have known if there had been any other water sources but there weren't because she was familiar with everything around there so that expression living water meant something different it was water that was flowing like a spring a river or a stream jewish custom and laws was full of regulations about being ceremonially clean you had to observe certain dietary regulations, certain hygienic regulations, in order to be able to offer sacrifices to God. One of those regulations included ceremonial washing. And it's really interesting, because according to rabbinic law, the only way you could get clean uh, was living water. Jesus was 
wasn't talking about water. Water. He was talking about spiritual water. He was talking about himself. He didn't engage her in just some idle chit-chat. He spoke to her on a deep spiritual level, which was forbidden in the Jewish culture. What can you, your love for someone more than uh, when you care about them uh, be greater than if it's on a spiritual level? When you're talking to someone and you want to share with them, it needs to be spiritually driven. In our society, it's become taboo to talk about religion. What do they say? Don't talk about politics and religion. Well, why not? Because you get everybody mad. Everybody gets mad if you talk about religion. Why? Why? Because it's a matter of, are you right or am I wrong? Or am I right and you're wrong? It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with what? Jesus. I love to be in a room with people that don't believe like I believe. They don't think like I think. Because it makes the Bible come more alive, doesn't it? You see, we can all sit in the same church and in the same class and listen to the same stuff told us over and over and over by the same teacher. And nothing changes. We don't change. We don't grow. We don't, we don't get deeper at all. In fact, when you, when you open the Word of God, how, how often do you open the Word of God? How often do you let the Word of God penetrate you? Are you in it on a daily basis? You're on the Internet every day. Most, most people. You're on the phone at least once a day. Surely you are. I bet you watch a little bit of TV through the day. Drive your car. So there's things that we're involved in on a daily basis. Is Bible reading part of that daily? Well, you know, preacher, I really, I really want to do that, but I just, I just can't seem to find the time. I got you. I understand. Because you see, this has to become a habit in your life. When you are stricken ill and the doctor says you must make changes if you're going to live, what do you do instantly? You start making changes. Now, they may not last, but at least instantly you start to make changes. Amen? May I say to you that, folks, you are going to die. The Word of God. Well, preacher, I don't know where to start. Read the Gospel of John. Just read it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Or... Take the proverb for the day of the calendar. Proverb a day, keep Satan away. <laughs> What's today? Today's the 14th, so go home and read Proverbs 14. Tomorrow will be 15. See, there's 31 Proverbs, 31 days in any calendar month. So what do I do, preacher, if there's 30 days and there's 31 Proverbs? Go back to one on day one. Okay, skip 31 and go back. Okay, you got it. Doesn't take a spiritual giant to figure this out. You can do it. Spend some time. Spend some time with the Word. It'll make all the difference in the world in your life. But Jesus is leading her to some living water. Water that she, didn't, she had never been aware of. Water that she didn't even know about. Jesus touched, uh, in John in 427, uh, John 427. Uh, let me get to that verse. I almost jumped over it. Okay. No, I just want to reference that. That's why, that's why I jumped over it. John 427. Take a look at that verse. He touched women. He spoke to them, and secondly, he touched women. You can find several instances in the New Testament. Once there was a lady who Jesus healed. She'd been sick for over 18 years, remember that? And she came and she touched the hem of his garment. Jesus touched people. Uh, there, there's a time when it talks about being in the great position. He went to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. Remember that story? Speaking of mother-in-laws, against his better judgment, a big game hunter is talked into taking both his wife and her mother 
along on one of his expeditions. It does not go very well. The mother-in-law is, if anything, harder to get along with in the wild than she was in the city. And to make matters worse, she won't even abide by the simple camp rules designed to keep the safari safe. So one night after dinner, the hunter's wife realizes her mother is missing, panics. She runs and rushes into her husband and begs him to institute a search. He sighs deeply, and together they set out. But before they've gone far, they hear throaty growling. Soon they come upon a small clearing in which the mother-in-law stands, backed up against thick, seemingly impenetrable jungle brush, and facing a huge male lion. The wife whispers urgently, what are we going to do? Nothing whatsoever, responds her husband. The lion got himself into this mess. Now he can get himself out. You know it's true. Touch. Touch. If you read about those exchanges that I mentioned earlier, you find that healing is involved in touching every time. Every time. Uh, Dr. Paul Brand, uh, he co-authored the book Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, he says, and I quote, skin cells offer a direct path into the deep reservoir of emotion we metaphorically call the human heart. There is something special about a touch. Amen? When you don't feel well and someone will just touch you, it makes all the difference in the world. You don't have to say anything. Just go touch them. I encourage people when they go to the hospital, you don't have to say a thing. Just reach over and touch my wife is not good at hospital calls. She just, it just, it, she, she freaks out. It just gets to her. She cries before we ever get to the room. I mean, she just has a hard time going to hospital. And not everybody can do that. So she goes, I don't know what to say. I said, don't say anything. Just touch them. So she walks in and she, she always invariably, she just goes over and gets their hand and puts her hand on their arm and she just sits there and just holds them. That's good. That's good. I'll talk. That's what I do. I get paid to talk. I talk way too much. Because there's often times when you don't need to say a thing, isn't it? You just need to touch somebody. Just reach over there and touch them. I think one of my favorite stories is the, the old gentleman who's sitting on his porch. He's lonely. He just doesn't have, uh, you know, his grandkids are far away. His wife's uh, passed away. And he's just really sad. And he's sitting there on the porch and he's crying. Well, the little neighbor girl next door sees him. She runs over and she doesn't say, what are you doing? What's going on with you? She comes over and she looks at him and then she just kind of comes right up to him and then she sits down right beside him and then she puts her head in his lap. She didn't say anything. But she went and she touched him in a very powerful way. And healing comes from those, doesn't it? Healing comes from that. And that's what's important. Thirdly, Jesus stood up for women. He challenged the commonly held views of women in his society. Remember, most men in the Jewish culture blamed sin, especially sexual sin, on women. Jesus put this whole ideology on its ear when he said in Matthew 5, You have heard it said that do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who lusts for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I mean, he just, that, that statement just throws the whole culture into a quandary. Because here... The object of blame is not necessarily the woman. He places it squarely on the shoulders of men. Something that was absolutely unheard of in the Mediterranean cultures of ancient day. Fourth thing we know about Jesus and women is that he heralded a woman's faith. There's this neat story about the little widow lady 
And uh, Bryant alluded to it this morning in his devotion in Luke 21. It says he, he looked up and saw this rich dropping, the rich dropping their uh, offerings into the temple treasury. He saw this poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. And he says, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in their gifts out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put all that she had to live on. See, Jesus heralded women. Women, somehow, mothers make it work out. There's not enough food to go around, especially when all the friends show up at the door unannounced. But mom somehow makes the meal stretch to cover everybody. How does she do that? Oftentimes, she doesn't eat. But see, moms do that. Wives do that. The husbands want to get their little toys. The difference between men and boys is the price of their toys. You know it. <laughs> and wives want to please their husbands, so what do they do? They let them get these goofy toys, like motorcycles. They don't need a motorcycle. Why do they need that motorcycle? Because they want to feel the, the air blowing through what little hair they have left on their head. I don't know why they need that, but they seem to need it. Why don't they just roll the window down on their truck and hang their head out like an old hound dog? Let the, let the tongue just blow you know. Why is it you can't blow in a dog's face, but you, they'll hang out the window and let the wind just blow their head off? I just doesn't get any. I can't figure it out. But Jesus heralded a woman's faith in this passage. It's so powerful. A widow who had so little to support herself with gave it all. Because in the, in the first century when a woman's husband died, she basically had nothing. She really had three options. She could remarry, she could go home and live with her father again, or she could try to make it on her own on the streets. And it was difficult to do. There wasn't many options afforded to widows in that day and age. Women were incredibly important to Jesus, though, while he walked this earth. And Jesus wants you to know, you women in this room, he wants you to know that you are very important to him. Secondly, Jesus wants you and God wants you to follow His Son. Followers of rabbis were called disciples. That was a position always reserved for men until Jesus came along. And Luke 8 and verse 1 says, Soon afterwards He was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with Him. And that makes sense that these were, were, were men uh, that Jesus had following Him. And, and He had prayerfully chosen them. <clears throat> to be his followers. He had chosen them to follow him closely in order to learn to become more like him. Nothing unusual about that verse. That's verse 1, but we need to look at verse 2 and 3. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary called Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Chosa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions, they were also with the disciples. Because you see, women are critically important. And He wants women to follow His Son. These women traveled with Jesus. They saw Jesus' execution. They were the first to encounter the empty tomb. Who was going to tend to the dead body of Jesus after He had been buried in the tomb? Was it men? No, nope, they were sitting in the upper room. They were sitting there trying, twiddling their thumbs trying to figure out what to do now. Who was going to do the work? The women. When we need work done at church, who's the first ones that always volunteer? The women. The women do. Why don't the men? Why don't the men? We need teachers in Sunday school. <clears throat> Why does the women always volunteer? Why can't we have men volunteer? Well, I just don't teach, sir, preacher. 
just not my spiritual gift. How do you know until you try? Or maybe you have tried and realized it's not your gift. That's possible too. But you know what's the greatest, the greatest teaching that goes on in young people's lives is when maybe the woman actually does the teaching, but the man is in the room at the same time. people need to see a mom and a dad figure, a male and a female figure, and who's sharing the message is not critically as important as the team approach to getting it in there. That's why moms and dads are needed in the home. I've never met a single parent yet that said, well, don't want, a, don't want another mate, don't need one. Nope, I can raise these kids by myself. Don't need anybody to help me. You know, right. You're going to need help. That's why God designed it that way. That's why He designed it that way. Same thing can carry over into the church, especially in the classroom. Jenna is doing a wonderful job coordinating our iChurch program in the back. we got, what, 30 kids back there today? It's fantastic what's going on back there. But she's calling for men to step in and help. Some of you men that are in this room this morning need to step back there one Sunday and do an object lesson. Just to, and that's all you need. Just do one object lesson and you're done. You can come back out here. But see, we need help like that. We need males to flow in and out of there because it makes a difference in the lives of kids. Love the story of Mary and Martha, Luke 10. And you know that story. Martha's busy about, you know, there's people drop by. Her, her natural hostess tendencies pop up. She starts to get food ready. She starts to get the stuff. She gets everything going. <clears throat> she gets the sweet smells in the house. She's going, because that's where her gift is. Her sister Mary does what? Sits down at the feet of Jesus and starts listening. Martha's mad. Martha stands at the doorway looking at Mary with that cocked eye. You know, thinking Mary's going to look at her and go, you need to get up and help me. But does Martha need to, you know, Martha shouldn't have to say that. Mary should know. She should get up. I'm the only one in here. Come on, here we go. What's going on? See that at family gatherings. The natural Marthas show up. Family gatherings. Here comes the Marthas. Well, they're all in. And then they sit down. Most of them, they'll sit down. After they've done all their work, they'll sit down waiting for the accolades to come. <sighs> and somebody will finally catch on. Some smart guy will go, Honey, are you tired? Oh, you just don't know. And so here we go. You see. So do we serve because we want accolades or do we serve because there's a gift in us? To get? You see, I think there's a combination of both in all of us. But it's a great story because what the story, don't miss the meaning of the story. The story is not to pick on Martha's gift or Mary's gift and say which one is better or worse. <clears throat> the story is there's sometimes we've got to just stop what we think is important and listen to Jesus. Amen? That's the story. And Jesus so much wants women, to, he, he wants you to know that. <clears throat> Thirdly, he wants, God wants you to tell you that you need to tell others about Jesus. Women have always been key proclaimers of Jesus to other people. I would be remiss if I didn't say that's probably a natural tendency on their part to talk. Certainly speculation on my part. But God wants women to tell others about Him. Who's the first one that taught you about Jesus? Usually it's your mother, your grandmother. Some, some woman did that, right? 
be forever grateful for my grandmother who made us go to church. (laughs) Didn't suggest it. There was a stick in hand, and we were walking down the street to go to church. Because we were four blocks from the Church of Christ, and we were going, whether we wanted to or not. Stick in hand some Sundays to get us there. But it was important to get the Word of God penetrating our heart. That's what she knew. Grandmothers know that. Mothers know that. I just wish more mothers knew that. I wish more mothers knew that. A ventriloquist, a young ventriloquist, was doing a church social in a small Texas town. He was going through some jokes about how women like to talk. And when a woman in the fourth row stood up on her chair and she said, I've had just about enough of your denigrating jokes. What makes you think you can stereotype women that way? What does a person's gender have to do with their worth as a human being? It's guys like you who keep women like me from being respected at work and in my community. How can I reach my full potential as a person as long as people like you continue to perpetrate discrimination against women? All in the name of... Well, the little young ventriloquist was flustered and began to apologize. The woman stopped him and she said, Hey, I'm not talking to you, mister. I'm talking to that little jerk that's on your knee. Come on. Matthew 28. Departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the the news. That's they being the women. Just then Jesus met them and he said, Good morning. Do 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 you realize that women were the very first ones to see the resurrected Jesus? Why? Because they were about the Father's business. All the men were huddled up talking about it. Women were actually doing it. They came up, took hold of his feet, worshipped him. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers. I want you to think about it as the worship team comes to help me close. The most important thing a person can do is tell others about Jesus Christ. Jeff's going to put up a little quote behind me. I want you to kind of read that as I'm finishing saying to you what I need to say. Because I think this is powerful what's up here. That mission of telling others about Christ has been entrusted to everybody. And I think it's the most important point of the message I want to share with women today of what God expects from you. God expects from you to tell, and of you women, to tell others about Jesus. But men, He expects us to do it as well. We are to share. And today, God wants you to know that you are extremely special to Him, ladies. He loves you. He wants you to follow Him with your whole life. And then He wants you to tell others. So the question of the hour, will you follow the man who loves you more than you can ever imagine? Men, will you stand up and be the men that you're supposed to be to show women how to serve, to show women how to lead? Would you men take that on your challenge plate today? But Father, more than anything, Would you allow that, Father, to come into you this morning? Let's pray together. Father, I I just ask you earnestly to to touch these folks this morning. Father, I feel like probably I haven't done my best today. But you're always on your best. Father, you're always uh, on top of the game. I thank you for never being inconsistent. I thank you for always loving, always forgiving, always caring. So God, today, 
the women in this room are so very special. They are so very precious, not only to me and to their husbands or their children or their boyfriends. They are so very special to you, their Heavenly Father. You love them. You sent Jesus to die for them. And so, Father, out of attitudes of gratitude, may they serve. And, Father, I thank you for every woman that's a part of this church. And every woman who prays, every woman who fixes communion, every woman who teaches a class, every woman who volunteers her time to type a paper or to fold a a bulletin, for every woman who makes a phone call, for every woman who writes a letter, writes a note, for every woman that is consistent in her house, to make her husband and her family focused on your son Jesus Christ. And Father, I have a room full of them this morning. So grateful. So kind and gracious. So Father, would you bless them. Bless them. So Father, there might be someone in this room that just doesn't have the kind of relationship with you that we've been talking about this morning. They haven't always felt that they're worthy. They haven't always felt that they are where they need to be. So, Father, we want to give them an opportunity as we sing an invitational song to respond. And we'll only make that just for the women, but we want to make it for the men as well, for the children that are in here as well. Father, we just want to give them an opportunity to be touched by you in whatever way that you need to do that. So, Father, more than anything, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. Thank you for never giving up on us. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. If you have a decision, would you make it? So we stand and sing this morning, Brother Dan. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me I was, was lost But now I'm found Was blind, but now I see When we And we'll have a great time of fellowship. Got a video segment. Video segment, just real quick. If you would sit down, I almost forgot about that. Let's take a look at that real quick.